0: Welcome to Arash's World. Today we have a special guest. We have Sean Hayden, who is an actor and a podcast host. Welcome to Arash's World.
1: Thank you, Arash. Thank you for having me.
0: It's wonderful to have you, but um, um, let's talk about yourself first. How would you briefly introduce yourself? I did mention you're an actor as well as podcast host, but anything else you'd like to mention there to, to fill in fill in the gaps for us, for our audience?
1: Yeah, I'm a New York City-based actor. I've been in the industry about 25 years. um, And I'm a person who, three and a half years ago, suffered a mental health crisis while working at one of the most powerful theaters in the country. And I'm using that crisis to tell my story and become a mental health advocate uh, for not only people in the theater industry, but in all industries.
0: Yeah, and that is that is very very important. And thank you for doing this. Now you have a podcast that's coming up called Stage Combat: A Mental Health Story. Um, that's going to be released in May, sometime in May during Mental we, Health Awareness Month.
1: Yes, we launched during Mental Health Awareness Month on May sixteenth, mm-hmm. um, uh, wherever you get your podcast, as we say. Uh, but we actually have uh, several trailers that listeners can listen to right now to get an idea of what the podcast. It's about what it's like, what it sounds like. Um, and they're all very exciting to listen to. Yeah, that's
0: that's awesome. So the format will be similar to my podcast. Is that correct? There'll be lots of interviews with mental health professionals and uh, and, and actors.
1: It's actually quite different. Uh, I all think right, it, good. Yeah, <laughs> so I actually think it's a, it's a very groundbreaking format. Mm-hmm. So um, the listener first hears uh, something that sort of sounds like a true crime story. It's a scripted nonfiction. So it's me telling my story of what happened while working at this theater and suffering a mental health crisis. It's very immersive. We have a really talented cast of about 20 voice actors. Um, it's scored and it's sound effects. So the listener feels like they're on stage with me. Oh, and that's wonderful! after each chapter, which always ends on a cliffhanger, then I have a 10 minute conversation with a mental health professional about some of the things that came up in the story. So we unpack those issues and hopefully my story opens a window to a broader conversation about mental health.
0: So it is scripted in a sense, or it's not like improvised as as we would hear?
1: (laughs) So the conversation with the mental health professional is of course not scripted, Mm -hmm. but the uh, produced portion, the script. It is a scripted nonfiction immersive listening experience. So it's a lot like listening to, uh, you know, in the old days, there used to be radio shows. Yeah, yeah. Coach, okay, oh. I live in New York City and we're hearing some of that noise. Um, but it's also sort of like if you listen to a true crime story and podcast, mm-hmm. it sort of has that feel, but it's very theatrical because we are in the world of theater, <laughs> musical theater, and one of the most powerful theaters in the country.
0: Yeah. And, and going back to your field, the theater, I mean, as, as somebody who likes to go to the theater, musical theater, opera and so on, uh, we often just see the performance, but there's so much behind it that we don't see. So many struggles, so much pressure. And can we uh, touch upon that a bit? That's What does it feel like to, again, prepare? Now, I, I just, all my experience has been, I did acting when I was uh, a youth, a teenager, and really? I know that it was exhilarating but it was also very stressful and that was uh, not on I mean, that was not high stakes uh, yeah. it was a youth group and so on yeah. how how did it go with you what are some of the pressures that are unseen for us but that happened behind the scenes
1: yeah you're exactly right I mean one of our catchphrases for the podcast is if you only knew what happens after the curtain closes you mm-hmm. know so and I often wondered if um you know if audience members knew maybe what was happening backstage or the particular mental health struggles the actors were going through does that change your experience you know so you know acting for me you know I, i've had enough years to adapt to the pressures of it you know i actually got to a point where i enjoyed auditions because an audition is an opportunity to do what you love to do mm-hmm. so you know that took many years of getting to a place where you're confident enough in your craft and that you just enjoy doing it. But all actors, you know, have to deal with constant rejection. I think there's also a sort of a, a prejudice, a, a, maybe not prejudice is the right word, but maybe a feeling from people not in, 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 in the industry that it's a real job, you know, but during the pandemic, everybody wanted their Netflix, they wanted their mm. performances. Right. So, you know, I think the podcast is really good at showing people who are not from this industry just sort of what the life of an actor is like, um, how tough it is, that we not only have to be physical athletes, but we have to really be in touch with our emotions and our vulnerabilities, our tools. When we go to work, it's our body, our instrument, and it's our emotions. It's being willing to show those vulnerabilities to audiences so that we can tell stories about the human condition and so the requirements of that job it really requires a trust in the workplace it requires a safe place to be able to do that and stage combat shows what happens when that environment is not provided Mm-hmm. Oh,
0: that sounds fascinating. And so so this is like all of this also often before the show, like all the rehearsals and so on. So how can we make it a safer space for, for everyone? How can we take into consideration uh, mental health needs as well? I mean, it's there's enough pressure on trying to perform well, but there yeah. are then all the other pressures. So how can we uh, help with that? Uh, what would you suggest here? What should we do?
1: Yeah, the first thing is, we just need to talk about it, mm-hmm. you know? Mental health has always been something that sort of extremist. Or, you know, if you're fortunate to work with an employee with a health plan, maybe you hear something about that there's mental health services provided. But I think not only in the theater, every workplace needs to talk about mental health every day as if our lives depend on it, because they do, right? And I think that the more that it becomes about conversation every day in the workplace then when someone is struggling I think we're going to be more responsive responsive right um and that if you are struggling you would not be as afraid to reach out for help or to say that you need help and I think that's the first place to start and that,
0: that's hugely important because I think it's currently very selective they're like yeah. certain groups of people will look at okay they're suffering now I I'm, I'm an instructor too so the focus is mostly on the students and they're suffering but what about us? I mean, we're yeah. humans too, and we suffer too. So yeah. it's it's that taking the, the holistic look of taking everyone into account. And I think that especially also the the stigma that comes with a guy is like, yeah, you can handle yeah. it. You know, this yeah. is like no big deal for you. But it is. It is. Yeah. And I think really shifting that kind of pr- uh, perspective as well. And it's not, uh, again, necessarily just women who suffer from it. It's yeah. also the guys. And there is some movement that I've seen in, in the media, but still not enough, I think.
1: Yeah, I'm so glad you said that, Arash. I totally uh agree with you. You know, we want to recognize mental health struggles across all communities, all identities. Mm-hmm. But I think you're right. I mean, there's definitely a stigma within the stigma. Mm-hmm. You know, um I read a stat that men are four times more likely to die by suicide than women. And that's because culturally as men, you know, we're brought up not to maybe express ourselves to be in touch with our emotions, that a mental health struggle is a site of weakness, that you're less than. Um, and I do certainly think that maybe there was some component of that happening in my story. Um, it's ironic because this the podcast takes place in a production of Billy Elliot, the musical. And so I was playing, if you're familiar with that story, I was playing the father of Billy, who is this epitome of toxic masculinity, right? Who is having a mental health crisis? And so we sort of see, you know, art imitating, you know, or life imitating art. Which way is it? Right. But that's a
0: persona that's projected. I mean, even that when they play tough, most of these people are very vulnerable and they're actually very scared. I mean, you are playing tough because you're you don't want to show your the things that you're hiding so it's, yeah. we have to take that into consideration too it's like that's not the real person because everyone is human and we all suffer from anxiety and some of us do from panic attacks i i had mine uh, a few years ago and it was uh, it was debilitating it was terrible but then it's like if, if people talk about it more it's like you know what you're gonna be fine it's OK. Yeah. You know, it's not the end of the world. You're not going to die. You don't have to go to the emergency uh, room in most cases, again. Yeah. But it's when we normalize it in a sense, it feels like, yeah, OK, I, I it's, it's, it's part of a normal process. And I think like just showing the anxiety or saying I, I'm anxious or it, it's seen as, again, the stigma is still there, especially again, much more so if you're a guy. It's like, well, you're supposed yeah. to be able to deal with that.
1: I think normalization is a key word there. I think that's really important. You know, the the thing I say, and I've said in some of our promos is that uh, the thing a lot of people said to me after this all happened to me was, I didn't think this would happen to someone like you.
0: Exactly. So
1: that exactly. inherent is that there, <laughs> and it comes, it doesn't come from a bad place, but it says that, okay, either we do expect certain people to <laughs> react that way. So, or... And who are you to
0: judge that? Who are you to judge? Who can it, Who not? You know what I'm yeah, we don't
1: expect yeah. men, you know, you're, you know, have yeah. kind of a take charge kind of guy. You don't expect it to happen to you. Yeah. And so if we do talk about it more, mm-hmm. if we do talk about it, that just because you're a guy doesn't mean you're immune to it, but we just need to talk about everyone has a possibility mm-hmm. of having a mental health struggle and it's okay. Mm-hmm. And that we all need to be there to support each other when it does happen.
0: And uh, in, in many ways, I mean, I, I've seen the, uh, the best learning comes through suffering for me, and it's not something I, I, I look for, but when it does happen, its then you you kind of shaken up from your comfort zone, you say now I have to deal with the situation. And once you do, you actually way ahead, it actually connects you more with life than before. So I find oh. that ever since I've had uh, these uh, this anxiety and panic attacks and so on, then you move on and you appreciate life so much more and, your fear goes away if you face it. And uh, yeah. I've, I've had people who will talk on this podcast who are more of an expert than me, but I'm talking about my personal experience. Once you face those fears, you realize how, how small they are and how they hold you back in many ways. And that's really important to, to forge ahead and not yeah. be afraid. And yeah. instead of uh, trying to find an escape or, or uh, using medication or drugs or any other kind of escape, I really like facing it. And you come out so much stronger out of it, no matter who you are, where you are. Yeah. And I think our, in our culture, we try, we talk about it often, but then we, we lack that, that connection with it. And uh, it's kind of sometimes often superficial. So like really diving deep into that and saying, yes, normalizing it let's feel it let's accept it that's part of who we are and let's try to get stronger
1: through it yeah um i totally agree and and it's not only the normalization but also that um it's okay to seek professional help Mm -hmm. to therapy or Mm -hmm. to see a doctor if you want to to see what is the best course for you to weather your mental health struggle uh and have mental health professionals lay a path for you
0: it's kind of like financial advice right you go and talk to Absolutely. the expert of how to deal with yeah. your money now this, you're investing in yourself this is your own well-being it sports so much more than than any business you might have so yeah. it should be seen as normal i'm just asking for some expert advice how should i deal with this situation which affects me and my relationships yeah. you're not alone in this
1: yeah. yeah and i think what is inherent in that is that you have to be willing to do a deep dive into it yes. you know And I think coming back to men again, I think that's something that, you know, we're just raised not to do that, you know, and you have to be willing. And that's what the podcast shows. It actually shows a three and a half year mental health journey, not just from doing the show, but what was the fallout afterwards and what were the mental health struggles that got worse and, 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 and mutated and how did I sort of get out of that? So, um, it's important that we just encourage people to not be afraid to explore that Mm -hmm. and that you're not, you know, that phrase, less of a man for doing that. It's Mm -hmm. you're going to be a better man and you're going to be a better part of your family, your community. You know, we are all interconnected. Yes. So when someone has a mental health struggle, it's not, there's a ripple effect. It's not just the person it's, it's spouses, children, friends, community.
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. But I think with like also show business, we see a lot of actors who are suffering and yeah. who uh, who uh, are then uh, attracted to to substances and substance abuse. Yeah. So. Um, what is it specifically? Is it that really that kind of like pressure of always having to give your best, of always being prepared, of always rehearsing? Is it that being in the limelight, being in the media? Is is that part of it that's that's causing this? Or is it the lack of, again, opening up again about one's vulnerabilities? What is that? Because I know, uh, I, I don't personally know, but I've seen a lot yeah. of um, uh, famous uh, ce- uh, celebrities, uh, famous people suffering from this.
1: Yeah, well, Look, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> but I think, I think a big part of it, Harash, is that the industry for far too long has proceeded in a manner that says explicitly and implicitly that you're lucky to have a job. So be quiet if you're struggling. Because if you can't do the job, not only are there people out there that Will take your job. There's someone standing in the wings that will take your job, and I do think the pandemic changed a lot of that. I think across America and all professions, but particularly you're seeing this in the theater industry, and a lot of this leadership it's coming from the generation that's younger than me. You know, it's 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 the actors that are in their twenties that are saying the show doesn't have to go on. That mentality that. Yes, we are lucky to have a job. Yes, there's a lot of competition, but we are employees and we're entitled to the same workplace protections that we would expect in any company in America. And so the thing that's different about my profession is that my tools, as I said, require me to expose my emotions and my vulnerabilities. That's not something you have to do in an office job. Mm -hmm. So our theater owners, our employers... It's time for them to recognize that and say, hey, maybe we should go above and beyond what any other employer should do. Maybe we need to train our staff to be sensitive to mental health struggles. Maybe we need to, there are people called behavioral health consultants that can be hired, much like you bring in a fight director or a choreographer that provides support to the actors, not only in performing their roles, if they're performing characters with mental health issues, but to provide them support if they're having trouble, you know, navigating that, you know, on stage and in their personal life. But the employers have to be willing to say. It's like sensitivity. It's like. We're not cattle. We're people. Yeah. And it sounds glamorous that we're being that we're actors. <laughs> it's a really tough job. Um. And we just need to humanize, I think, the workers that are on stage more rather than looking at them as disposable and replaceable. Yeah. That's yeah, where did, I would start
0: it kind of reminds me of the the soldiers of old who come back from the war war, and they're shell shocked there's no like post-traumatic stress disorder did not exist at the time and they're like yeah they're gonna just like snap out of it sooner or later just you know give it time and i I think that some kind of similar perspective here or the mindset is very similar i mean again not comparing war to to acting but the whole idea behind it's like yeah it's fine I mean, I I, I love movies and movies sometimes shake me up because they're so well acted. They're so well made. And so it it affects me for a few days, but I'm thinking if you're immersed in that role for like sometimes months, that must leave some traces. So basically you are uh, incurring trauma into your, it's, it's fictional trauma, but the subconscious does not distinguish between those two. It doesn't
1: distinguish. And we have a, you know, in one of these post-show talk conversations, we have a, a clinical psychologist who's renowned and she did a medical study with actors. And what she found was the feedback was the body doesn't know the difference. So if you think about when you've had, if you have had a big cry or a big fight with someone, an argument, you feel emotionally spent, you feel physically spent sometimes. And so for instance, in, in Billy Elliot, that's in the podcast, my job required me to break down crying twice a show, eight times a week so that's 16 times a week can you imagine if you cried 16 times in one week you're going to feel beat up and so as an actor i know how to support myself but when there's issues in your workplace you know the employers have to provide you a safe place to be able to do that work now what i will say harash is there's a lot of actors that maybe don't know how to manage that and they're not trained, you know? And I think that's something that our employers could help them with as well.
0: In terms of self-care, what would you recommend for for actors to uh, being able to can give themselves enough time to to basically heal from from this yeah. like incurred trauma? Uh, what would you recommend there?
1: Yeah, so we talk about in the podcast with a clinical psychologist and it's actually part of the, the scripted story. There's something called de-rolling and it's just having some sort of ritual that takes you out of the world of that character you're playing and into your personal life. Mm -hmm. So I was playing this very toxic masculinity kind of guy. Mm -hmm. So after the show, I would, after everyone left, I stayed at my dressing room table. I listened to very calming music. And then I would play the Spice Girls because it was the furthest from the world of this macho guy that I was playing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I would you know, I would shower at the theater. Our our housing was five minutes away, but the feeling of showering there at the theater made me feel like I was getting rid of that character, you know, and then you just sort of have to, you have to live, you know, in show business, we say you have to live like a nun, (laughs) you know, you have to go home and go to bed. You know, Mm -hmm. you have to, you have to work out. You have to eat good food, you know, it's it's a lot of things you do as an athlete for self-care, but there's certain rituals that you can do as an actor to make sure that, you are just maintaining boundaries between your personal life and what happens on stage. Well, I guess what about
0: I think method acting is where people just like consistently consistently stay in that character, and which yeah. which I think is a bit scary. And uh, it's like if you have a family, you are like that that toxic guy, you know. You go yeah. home and do like, it. Uh, should we like switch off and just uh, have a an on and off switch, or what would you say for for actors who are trying that method?
1: Well, personally, I would say method acting is dangerous. Okay. I, yeah. I, I don't think it fosters a good workplace, okay. um, and I think it's damaging, extremely damaging to a person's body and mental state. So I'm not an advocate of that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Um. Um. What was the question? <laughs> I think that was it. So yeah, you know, you said, yeah. 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 So I I you mean when I switch yeah. off acting, it yeah. just sort yeah. of makes me, you know, kind of do that because look, I also think in any workplace. You know, you've got to be able to work in a manner that's, you know, conducive to everyone else being comfortable as well. You know, and so when one person sort of is too method or too immersed in a role that it crosses a danger line, that not only presents safety risk, but, you know, it's not good for the other actor's mental health.
0: I want to bring up Zimbardo's prison experiment that he made in the 70s, where um, they had to pretend uh, prison. And so there were these students who were randomly assigned guards, and then the other ones were prisoners. And he was the the director. And after a while, they got so much into their roles that they forgot. They they took it for real. They thought they were in a real prison. So did the researcher himself, Zimbardo, Philip Zimbardo. So if that happens to a seasoned uh, psychologist, How much more would it happen to to us? So that kind of confusion between uh, reality and fiction. And I think, as you're saying, I think we have to come back to the ground and say, okay, now the the shift is over. Now I need to relax.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think that's something that listeners will find interesting to explore in the podcast, whether or not that dynamic is going on.
0: Yeah.
1: The story, you know, it was a very. ah. you know it was a production that was directed to have a lot of rage and anger. Hmm. So um, but was there enough support being provided so that the events that played out, in the story of stage combat hmm. could have been, you know uh, prevented. And what has
0: uh, um, uh, what has helped you throughout? I mean, when, when you had that, that moment of, uh, of a, basic, a basic collapse there, what has helped you to come out of it? What was really like, this? was it advice from others? Was it help? Was it yourself, a realization? What well, brought you it, out of this?
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. when it happened to me, I had no vocabulary, Hirash. I mm-hmm. never had a panic attack. I, I, mm-hmm. I didn't know what was happening to me. It was really, yeah. really frightening. Oh, yeah. And then it just got worse and worse. So, yeah. you know... I, I, I was fortunate enough to be able to afford medical care. A lot of people don't have that luxury here in the States. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I had a therapist. I had a, a psychiatrist. I had, you know, my panic symptoms manifested in really painful muscle spasms and muscle rigidity in my neck and my back. So then I had to have an orthopedic doctor and then a physical therapist. So the podcast journey is that it wasn't a matter of just having a panic attack. It changed my life. For three and a half years, mm-hmm. so certainly cognitive, you know, of, of therapy is really important. But believe it or not, um, making the podcast—I've always said—is the ultimate cognitive therapy because I've sort of recreated the crime scene, sort of say. I've, I've gone back; it was Love traumatic that. a lot of times to record it, but just to be able to tell the story is very empowering. But also to connect all the dots, and for me to be able to see in dramatizing what happened to me. Oh, this event led to this and that led to that. And that's why I reacted that way. And that's why I had this vet spell. So I would say I didn't expect that from making the podcast that it would have that effect. Um, but it's it's been a tremendous benefit to my health and actually something my doctor said was probably the best thing I could have done for myself considering just how much effect the trauma actually had on me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's often like when the fear of like it appearing again and we are afraid of fear and it's kind of it continues and really finding a release and whatever that is. And and also taking a certain amount of responsibility for it. okay, now I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to face it. I'm going to not victimize myself, but just turn it into something much bigger, much grander. And I applaud that because it's yeah. it, it it is hard. It's actually the harder path to take, but it's so much more rewarding and so much more liberating to to do that in any form, whether yeah. you know, it's a podcast or a work of art or making music, whatever it is. We need to do that and really like open up to those uh, uh, to those emotions and feelings.
1: Yeah, I think something you said. I think you can. I think you have to do both. You know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I think you have to take a moment to say. You know, when I first went to see my doctor, I said, I just want to get over this really quick. I don't want to be a victim. And when you hear what happened in the podcast, there was a lot of things that happened that were not so good. And he said, but you you are a victim and you've got to acknowledge that first sure. before you can work past through that. Yeah. It's okay to say something bad happened to me and it, yeah. it really affected me in a bad way. You've got to start there and to figure that out and then i think you do reach a certain point when you're feeling mentally healthy enough Mm -hmm. to start looking ahead you know um i think a lot of people can be trapped by the familiarity of distress you know so i think there's a point where if you work through the issues i agree with you to affirmatively look to what lies ahead for me you know it's
0: really a step-by-step process, too. I mean, that, yeah. That's important to, to see that. And it's it different for overnight. everybody. And, and it's different, different, and it yeah. takes a lot of work and patience, too. I mean, and, and that's we have to acknowledge that, too. But once you see that things are moving in the right direction, that I'm slowly feeling better after feeling worse, I'm slowly feeling yeah. better. That is important. And to, and to continue that and to, to have a certain amount of like, I got some of it under control and some other stuff I don't. And so I find with life that happens too. Whenever I think I'm in control, then it's like, no, you're not. And life kind of throws you something—a curve, and so on. But that's okay, because at that point you're like, yeah, I I got this curve. Now it's not going to overwhelm me. And one of the the fears has been like, you know, having the pandemic. And uh, this is actually my uh, this was my wife's worst nightmare. She's a nurse, and so so uh, and it wow. did happen. And I say, look, I mean, we're okay. I mean, it was tough. It wasn't easy. we, we prefer not to have it. But once yeah. you do, you see the good that can come out of it, that silver lining, you know, and uh, apart from all the suffering and pain and, and, and deaths and losses, I uh, acknowledge that. But at the same time, there is a bright side to it. And I think w- we need to focus on that little line, of uh, silver lining that exists, that, that bright light that exists there to move it forward. Yeah. And so th- that's by opening up, by facing it, by talking about it, I think that's, that's, that's exactly it. That's the right path. Yeah,
1: I love your optimism. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. really great about you, you know. And I think it's hard a lot of times when you are really struggling to yes. find that optimism um, because you're seeing, you know, it's a tough lens to look through sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know?
0: But it's okay, um, you know, because you don't want to push toward optimism. It should be something exactly. that you get to. Right. Because when you're forcing yourself to be optimistic, and that's why I don't like positive thinking, I think that makes things worse. If things are bad, accept them. They they are bad. Yeah. But what can I do about it?
1: Yeah. It's kind of like when someone says, oh, you should just step out of it because you you have a great life. Yeah. (laughs) The worst is
0: when you're suffering from insomnia, it's like, oh, just close your eyes and fall asleep. It's like, (laughs) that's exactly the problem. I can't do that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: But but again, that that kind of opens up, and when more people have experienced trauma, and that's I see again the bright side yeah. of the pandemic. We all went through hell, <laughs> yeah. some more than others, of course. But now we know what it feels like, and it's like, oh yeah, you know, I I, I hear you, I feel you, and I think yeah. that that's that's been a good thing
1: in a way. Yeah, and I think people are people are struggling. They're 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 looking to be heard. You know, mm-hmm. we've did. had our social media campaign up on. Um, Uh, for the podcast for about four weeks now and it's amazing the people that have reached out that i don't know i don't know them but just to say i'm looking forward to the podcast because what i'm hearing you went through i've been suffering from as well and no one seems to understand it you know i've heard that several times and again just in this particular podcast is part of That bringing in awareness, you know, what you have been saying, that the more we talk about it, I just think we just need to never stop talking about it so that it just becomes as commonplace as talking about if someone, you know, had a cold or they were getting over the flu. Just
0: a a technical question. How would the podcast work? Is it kind of weekly? Are you planning to add more episodes or do you have everything you're releasing it by time? Because I'm very curious.
1: Yeah. So yeah. we launch on May 16th Yeah, uh, and there's actually two seasons to look forward to. Oh, nice. so, um, so we have a second season that will be released later in the summer. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, so the, the episodes will probably drop about uh, two episodes a week mm-hmm. and there is um, nine episodes in the first season. And then we have about another 10 episodes that we're editing right now as I'm talking to you. Uh, to debut in July.
0: Okay, wonderful. So, just want to remind everyone: Stage Combat and Mental Health Story is the podcast. Uh, it will be released, uh, premiering on May 16th. So, pencil so in the date; that's important. And it will be available on, on all the major uh, podcast platforms. It's on
1: every directory right now, so you can go right there. You can just hit the follow button. Um, the, it's it's uh free. There's no um, subscription price to it. So you can just hit follow, and then you'll get notification of every trailer that comes out and every episode that drops. Wonderful!
0: Thank you so much for being on Rashi's World, well, Sean Hayden. I I recommend everyone to check out your podcast when it comes out. And uh, yeah, lots of sleep still. We still have a month to go, but uh, definitely yeah. an important event. To look and can I
1: just say, if people want to follow our social media, you mm-hmm. can check us out on Instagram at Stage Combat the Podcast IG. And then we're on Facebook, TikTok, and LinkedIn at Stage Combat the Podcast.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much, Sean. Thank you. It was a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you.